All right. Hello. Good morning, everybody. My name is Tafazwa Charuma. I am a member here at CPC. I'm going to be taking on the second part of our sermon series. I'll be preaching, sharing the message with you guys here. So um, welcome to church. All right. So our sermon series is called Mastermind. Honestly, it sounds like an episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy, right? <laughs> but it's, uh, I'm really, really enthusiastic and excited about the sermon series. Given one, I'm in the psychology field, I work with counseling, so um, going over how we think is a big part of my daily work, like outside of, like outside of my life in the church, like when I counsel individuals and I do assessments, I spend a lot of time talking to people about their thinking patterns. Um, the way you think, whether you like it or not, it controls almost every facet of your life. The... Thoughts you have, the thoughts you have about yourself, the environment around you, the people around you, um, what you have believed about what is, you know, your past, what's happened to you, all those things create what is called a schema, and a schema essentially is just a um, a frame of reference of when these things happen, this is how I respond because this is how I've taught myself, this is how it's always happened, so this is how my thinking now works. Your brain literally is like a muscle. And muscle memory is a real thing, and therefore, like, thinking patterns get formed as much like muscle memory gets formed. You think a certain way, you act a certain type of way, and you get a certain response, and you're, over a lifetime, these things start to kind of become habits. To where you unconsciously, will, a situation will happen, you create a conclusion or a, um, a like, a, oh, yeah, this happens, this is how I'm supposed to respond to it, and you act without thinking, you know? You know, a lot of us have responses. You know, like, for instance, like, fear is not, you know, like, we, fear is something that like, is a learned response. No one is really taught to be afraid of, like, things that we're afraid of. Like, I am deathly afraid of snakes. I don't like snakes, but I strongly believe that's because my mom is afraid of snakes. And my growing up, when I first saw her respond to it, I saw what she did when she saw a snake. So she, to what she taught me about snakes created a thinking pattern in me that whenever I see them, I respond the same way I do because not everyone is afraid of snakes. Right, so the way you think influences the way you live. That's why to change your life, you need to change the way you think. And I believe this is reigns true for everyday things such as working out, such as um, reading, school habits, study habits, all that stuff. But I also believe it reigns true for the gospel. Um, our theme verse for our sermon series is Second Corinthians ten, verse four through five. This is what it reads. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Right? Take every thought captive to obey Christ. Destroy, literally, arguments, right? Lofty opinions. It's all really cerebral, so cerebral stuff, all stuff up here, right? And so it's, it's kind of cool, this verse, what it's talking about. Um, I want to focus on right now is the word strongholds and how, like, you can replace that word with anything that is more familiar to you. Um, it'd be a fortress, castle, a dungeon, you know, some far off, far off building guarded by some dragon, whatever that stronghold looks like for you. Um, Focus on that because there's a captive there. The captive is you. 
and that stronghold is destroyed by divine power. Our first week, Megan so like eloquently described how these strongholds are destroyed. Like, it is not within our it's not within ourselves to destroy the strongholds. She pointed out in a very matter of fact that it is the power of God that destroys the stronghold. And the only way you can tap into that is through prayer. And I believe that is like the place where we had to start. Because um, if God is how these strongholds are destroyed, then communication with God is how um, you tap into that divine power that you activate is how these strongholds get knocked down. So this week, what we're going to be talking about is what happens when, like, you know, let's say the stronghold does, does matter of fact, gets destroyed. You are liberated. The, the walls fall down. The, the cell falls apart. The lock on the jail breaks loose, right? Think about Paul when he was in jail and, the, and he just, shh, it's unlocked. And he can walk out. And then he walks out. And that's great. But a lot of us don't just walk out. Freedom is much more than physical bondage. Freedom is much more than just being able to do whatever you want. With, with um, freedom comes responsibility, and responsibility um, of accepting the fact that you are truly free. And I think that's where a lot of us trip up is like, even when we are liberated, even when the strongholds in our lives are knocked down and destroyed, um, we, all, we, we don't move, we don't budge, our life doesn't change. Why doesn't your life change? If, like Jesus says, if for Christ's sake, like you've been set free, like if you are a believer in Christ, if you are a Christian and you have accepted the Christ Lord as your Savior, why is it that you are still living the same life that you were living before you knew Christ? There is no change. You are still a slave to the very same things that were there before you met Christ. You're still a slave to the opinions of the people around you. You're still a slave to your work. You're still a slave to your opinion of yourself. Because we lack self-awareness. Right? Before, before I move for, forward a little further, like, I just want to like, give you guys a disclaimer. Like, this message is not a self-help message by any means. It's also not a self-deprecation message. Right? The goal of this is not for you guys to walk out of here feeling worse about yourself than you did coming in. The goal for this message is not for you to walk out here feeling that you, in and out of yourself, can conquer anything that comes your way because both of those things are not true to the gospel. The goal of this message is for you to be aware of yourself in light of what the scriptures say we are. The goal of this message is to hopefully is to make you more aware of who you are in this very moment because whether you like it or not, who you are right now is all that you will ever be in this very moment. Because who you are yesterday is not who you are today. Who you are tomorrow does not exist. Who you are right now is who I'm talking to. And the thing is, like, that's the person you need to address. Every day you wake up is who am I today? Because that's all you get is today. That's all we are promised is today. So to accept that person, that's I believe, I strongly believe that's when you start to change. Is to be able to wake up each morning, accept the person you are that day, be aware of that person, and then change can happen. All right. I wanted to look at um, a, a quote by a man that I respect purely on an educational basis because I don't really know him. But <laughs> through schooling, I've, read, I've heard a lot about him. His name is Carl Rogers. He is a psychologist, counselor, 
he has, if you know anything about counseling, Rigerian theory, and um, he is, um, he's like a big deal in the way modern counseling is, um, is run. A quote by him, and I, I'm not sure if he's a believer or not. Uh, I'm not sure about his personal life. I skipped that part of the reading in the books. Uh, it wasn't going to be on the test, so I wasn't, I wasn't concerned with it. Uh, but he said this really cool thing, and um, since I read it, I've, it's really kind of profoundly affected my life. Um, he said, the curious paradox is that when I accept myself just as I am, then I change. It goes back to this idea of awareness, right? Who am I right now? Once I can accept that person, like, then I can change. Why? Because if you aren't able to accept that person and you start changing, you're changing things that aren't really true. Right? If you have a false sense of self, and you work on that false sense of self. You, so you are changing things that are not true about yourself. Imagine this, that you take a picture, you Photoshop that picture, you post it, and you believe that picture to be true about who, that's who you believe yourself are, right? Like, it's like I take a picture, and I give myself some big, big old muscles, you know, boom, and I'm like, oh, man, like, that's nice. I like that. I'm, I'm swole looking. Okay. I post it. People start liking that picture, and I'm like, you know, they really like this picture, so they really like me. Right, someone somewhere else, you know, like imagine, you know, was that being catfish, right? Hey, people like the person that got like, oh, I really like the way you presented yourself. That's not who you really are. You you do all that, and uh, and then you start to like, oh, you know, I'm gonna work on that person. So you're changing and you're doing so much on this idea you've created, and we do a lot of us do that. We create an image for ourselves, which may or may not be true. Most of the time, it's not. We work on that image that we've created for ourselves and spend a lot of time and effort maintaining that image, but yet who you really are has not changed at all. You go to sleep, and you still, you know, you still wake up with the same problems, the same emptiness, the same internal issues because you're working on this image that's not truly you. All right? I wanted, what I was going to do, because I was going to have like this big mirrors up here, like, I wanted, like, really, like, like, at least two big ones. Like, one that had, like, an actual image, you know, like, a, not a funny mirror, then a mirror, like, a distorted one, so you could look at it. And I want you guys to be able to see yourselves. The whole time I was preaching, it was going to be phenomenal. It was going to be very painful, because then, like, it's what self-awareness is. is like, it's, we're warned, is the same, self-awareness is a painful process, because you have to start accepting yourself in your entirety. That means, like, you have to look at the good and take it as just that. It's just, okay, it's good. You have to look at the great and be like, okay, that's cool. You have to look at the terrible and be like, okay, that's still me too. And self-awareness doesn't take and pick and choose whatever you are. It tells you everything you are is you, good and bad, right? And it's a very painful process because a lot of times we have a lot more bad than good. So I wanted to have these big mirrors up here. It would have been great. I was going to have mirrors under everyone's seat so you guys could sit there and look at yourselves the whole time. But then I thought, oh, my God, I don't have to do that. There's cell phones. So this is what I want you guys to do. <laughs> I want you guys to take out your cell phone and turn on your front-facing camera. Yes. Oh, yeah, smile. Smile. You know, give yourself a nice selfie. Cheese, you know. And, but the key about this one, I want you to be a selfie by yourself because that's very important. You, yourself, no one else. If someone is behind you photobombing, that's cool. You can't really control that much. But I want you to be the focus of your selfie, right? This is, that's going to work as my mirror for this. 
because how does um, self-awareness develop? Self-awareness starts to develop in a very young age. I'm going to give you guys a little like a history lesson, like child development. Self-awareness develops in babies at a very young age. You know your baby's brain is developing like on a, in a normal rate, in normal capacity, when you start seeing them. First, they start mirroring you. You do something, because when babies are first born, they don't really care about anything outside of themselves. Like, they're selfish, like, by birth. They want to eat, sleep, and they want to be changed. They're not concerned about you. So you try all your best to make a baby laugh. It's a little toddler, one, two months old. They don't care about the faces you're making. They're just wondering, like, are you going to feed me? No, I'm not interested, right? <laughs> but, but that's how self-awareness develops. Because then what comes next for a baby is, like, they start mimicking you. You're like, oh, my gosh, look, 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 look. You raise your hand, the baby's like, ah. And they start mimicking your facial expressions. Self, that's how you know a baby's self-awareness is developing because it's starting to understand, like, oh, my gosh, like, there's something outside of me, but I, I can do whatever that's happening out there. But they're not very aware of their own, like, capacities yet. But then you put a baby in front of a mirror, one of the funnest things you can do because they completely forget you exist. You know, at first, babies in the mirror will be like, they think that's another baby on the other side. Then they get freaked out because the baby's doing what they're doing. Then they get a little older, and then they're like, oh, my God. You know, ever seen a little baby? That's like, who is that? Who is that? Because we want babies to be aware of themselves, right? So we ask them, like, who is that? Who is that? Like, they're like, it's me. You know, like, and they're looking at themselves, you know, making, fun, <laughs> making funny faces. But that's how, you know, self-awareness develops in a very kind of chronological way. The crazy thing is for us as adults, it's the exact same thing. Some of us never get past looking in that mirror. It's so important to realize that you and the person in the mirror is the exact same person. Like, that's the same image, like, which looking back at you. But it's also important to realize that you're only looking at a physical being. What you see in the mirror is not the entirety of who you are. See, you, you can accept the person you see in the mirror, but... You cannot be fully aware of that person you see in the mirror. Because mirrors for us are just physical reflections of our physical being. And that's just a step of how we develop our self-awareness. What I want to talk about, though, is self-awareness on a deeper level than that. Like self-awareness of who you are as a person, as a whole. Self-awareness of who you are in totality. And that's something we can only get from Scripture. That's what I want to tell you. That's what I want us to believe. But that's not, that's not true, though. You know, we develop that idea of who we truly are from various things, um, who the people you hang out with, the people you associate yourself with, um, your identity and your job titles. For instance, like, shout out to all the mothers in here. Uh, <laughs> being a mom is a phenomenal thing. It is great, you know, like... Um, but that's not all who you are, though. And it's hard to believe that at times because it, it, it absorbs so much of who you are. So you can accept your role as a mother. You can be aware of that. But that is not the entirety of your person. The same thing goes to fathers. You're not just a father, right? That's not all you are. Same thing goes when you look at job titles. You ask somebody, hey, who are you? And they tell you, oh, I'm a football player. It's like, no, 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 sir, that's what you do. But who are you exactly? Oh, you know. That's kind of deep. I don't really know. Um, hey, who are you? I'm a banker. I'm a preacher. I'm a, you know, I lead worship. I, I work with kids. I'm a teacher. These are all roles and things that you can accept about yourself because they are in and out of themselves true. 
But at the end of the day, they are also not who you are. Who you are is deeper than that. The reason I say that is because all those things can change. And this is out of your control how they change. You can be a husband and a wife. You can be a big part of who you are. But life happens. That role may change. You may lose a title of husband and wife. Then who are you after that? Same as being a mother. You know, there's things that could happen. You could you always be a mother once you have your child, but things can happen that could change that title and that role and what it looks like. So who are you then? You know, that's that that those are those are the kind of questions that are hard. Those are the kind of things that are hard to grasp because like when your identity and the things you accept and the only and the things that you're aware of yourself are only based on the things that are in this world and the things that are happening around you. That is such a shallow understanding, and there is no freedom in that because those things are out of your capacity to control. Those things are things that have happened to you, but those things are not things that you were born with. Those things are not things that you are said to be truth about you by your creator. Those things are things that are added to you as you live your life. They come and go. When we look at James... Chapter 1, verse 22 through 25, James said this, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts will be blessed in his doing. Excuse me. All right, so James here is doing something pretty profound, kind of going along what we're talking about. With like, if we're going to look at the word of God as a mirror, James is saying, man, if you are a person that just reads this Bible and then you walk away and nothing is different about you, you're the same as a person who looks in the mirror and walks away and forgets what they look like. What James is saying is that essentially this Bible is a mirror. And when you look into it, you should be able to walk away and be profoundly different because it is showing you who you are. It's telling you, giving you examples of the things you should be doing, the way you should be living, right? Um, But when you do that, when you don't do that, excuse me, and you walk away and you're different, like, he's like, oh, you're, you're silly, you're, you're, you're funny. It's like, a lot of you guys took that selfie, how many of you guys remember what you look like? A lot of you guys still remember what you look like, right? Because, like, <laughs> and some of you guys may not be like, oh, man, I forgot what that looks like. I don't really pay attention to myself like that. Uh, <laughs> it's not that kind of, I'm not that kind of person. I'm not self-absorbed. <laughs> I'm better than that. I don't not pay attention to myself that much, right? But it's, it's, I think that's baloney. I think we are very self-absorbed people. I think we're very self, um, like there's a lot of selves involved in our lives. And none of them very, none of them always, not all of them are always good, you know. That's why there's so many um, big selling things that fall into self-help. You know, how do you raise your self-esteem? Self-worth. Self-this, you know, there's a lot of self. And then, again, this is not, there's nothing wrong with, like, you know, working on yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's the idea of when you open Scripture, when you look at yourself and you walk away and you forget what, who you are, you forget what you look like, this idea of that 
regardless of all these things that are told to you and shown to you about yourself, it comes back to the simple truth. It always all comes back to what do you believe to be true about yourself? So looking at that, like looking at that selfie, we're looking at that, like you know, that physical mirror, like, and you read that, and you're looking at that person, and you're like, I want you to, like to think truly to yourself, like, what do you believe to be true about that person? And where did that come from? Did it, do you believe that person to be a good person, to be righteous? Where does that come from? Is it because like they do, they go to you because you're here at church? You're here at church, so you must be a pretty good person. I mean, if I told you that, does that mean anything more? Does it mean anything less? When you're looking at that person in that, in that, on that phone staring back at you, when you're looking at a picture of yourself, when, when you're looking at yourself, what do you believe to be true about you? And where does it come from? Because that matters. What are you aware about yourself? And the things you believe to be true about yourself, are they because you are you know, better than the people around you? You tithe like you're supposed to. You show up to church like you're supposed to. Like, a lot of us, you know, in out of ourselves, like we believe ourselves to be a good person, right? You're not that bad because you're not as bad as the person next to you. Like, as kids, we learn at a very young age to define ourselves based on the people we're around. Comparisons are, like, big, 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 big ways we unfortunately define ourselves. And how silly is that? That you only believe things to be true about you based on the people else around you. Like, think about even in jobs. You're not good at your job until you're better than someone else. Like, think about, like, speed, like, you know, like, physical attributes. The way you look is only, you only look a certain way, and you only describe yourself. The adjectives you give yourself are usually only in comparison to someone else. It's never as is. It's never I'm good. It's never I'm like fine. It's never I'm just, it's never that I'm bad. It's always those things because I'm worse than so-and-so. I am better than someone else. I am as good as somebody else. I am as bad as someone else. I mean, I think about it like a great example. Like throughout college, I hung out with a group of very, very, very fun-loving, Christ-loving young men who were... um, for um, lack of better terms, they were like a group of white kids that <laughs> weren't the greatest athletes, like <laughs> by no means, right? And like by, by like kind of just like, you know, stereotype, I'm a young black man, like I'm, and I'm African, so they just assumed I was an athlete, a better athlete than that. So people would look at our group and we'd say we'll go somewhere and we're playing pickup basketball. People would pick me up on their basketball team as one of their first choices on one of the first games. I'm a terrible basketball player. I'm not great, but because I was this black man, I looked like I was in shade. They were like, oh, yeah, he's like, he's black. I'm like, oh, I got the black guy. And I'm like, oh, well, you pick bad. <laughs> you, you pick poorly. I'm a turnover machine. Like, I'm going to be, I'm going to give this ball out like candy to the wrong people. <laughs> Don't do that. Right. And then like, but they would take, because they, they would just look at me and be like, oh, because of the people I was with. And for a while, I, I truly believe I was a better athlete. Because I was then my friends because they weren't the most coordinated people that you're going to meet. You know, some of them were phenomenal athletes, but like by comparison, in our house, I was a great athlete. But then when I was, I also played football in the football team where I was not around people that are not athletic. So out there, I was just an average athlete. 
But in the environment I was in around my friends, I was a great athlete. And that's what's important here that I want us to believe, uh, to, to see and understand is that in your environment, you may be one thing or the other. Uh, if your self-awareness is based on your environment, if the person you believe yourself to be is based on the people you're around, is based on anything outside of scripture, it is not the complete truth. Because it, it can always be better, it can always be worse, it will never be just is. Why? Because there's somebody better than you out there. There's somebody worse than you. There's somebody that does more Christian things than you do. I'm sorry to tell you that. There's somebody that's been on more mission trips. There's somebody that ties more than 10%. There's somebody that gives them an offering every week that's way beyond their, way beyond explaining. There's someone that prays more. Does that make you any worse? But you would never believe anything less than that of yourself if all you believe yourself, only things you believe about yourself are things that you believe compared to the people in this room. Because I promise you, someone in this room is better than you in those ways. There's also someone in this room who is worse than you in those ways. There's someone in here who it doesn't, who reads their Bible less than you do. But those things don't matter, though, right? Because if that's, that's the truth you believe about yourself, if that's, if that's the end point, then you are failing to change and to live a full life of freedom because that is not what Scripture tells of us, right? Jesus warned of this very thing in Luke chapter 18. He's talking to... Um, his disciples, and he's, this is what he said. He's like, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The Lord is constantly, constantly throughout Scripture. You, look, you see it in Ecclesiastes as well. He says, like, do not be over-righteous. Do not be over-wise. Why destroy yourself, right? The Lord is constantly reminding us, like, hey, man, like, don't think of yourself more than you actually are. And I think the opposite is true. Don't think of yourself and don't give yourself an identity, an identity that's not who you are. What does that identity come from then, you know? Because the, the, the caution here is, like, don't compare yourself to anyone else. When it comes to your identity and your awareness of yourself, it's like that's not based on anyone else outside of you. The Lord, what the Lord is concerned about is you and him, right? Because when you stand in front of the Lord, the questions he's going to ask you are going to be you-based questions. What have you done? You know, who have you been for my kingdom? Are you my child? You know, like these questions, like this, the Lord is looking at you, not like based on like, well, Lord, like I was born in this family. My family did a lot of things. Or I was better than Tim. Tim was terrible. Like, the Lord isn't concerned about that. He's concerned about who you are in, in relation to him. And that doesn't come from anywhere outside of Scripture. The Bible is not very secretive about who we are. It tells us very clear in day. And I believe that's, like, we don't like the law as much, the book of law, because it's painful to read it. Because, like, you read it and you just, you just kind of like, dang, like, I don't do nothing. I'm terrible. And then even then, like Jesus, the people, the Pharisees who prided themselves on the law, 
they themselves never, op- they, they never compared themselves to the law in front of people. When they were talking to Jesus, they never compared themselves to the actual law. They compared themselves to the people around them. They picked someone that was worse and said, I am better than so-and-so, therefore I'm righteous. But that's not the law. Mm-mm. Like, you have to be perfect. You have to follow everything. Like, in relation to Christ, like, to be considered righteous, to, if you wanted to be aware of yourself and actually feel good about yourself, you'd have to understand that, like, I've had to have done everything. Well, you know, but no one, not one is righteous, not one amongst them. Like, none of us fit that bill. So we can't be aware of ourselves in that way. So that's when I believe that's why we default to comparing ourselves to our friends, to the people around us. We create false senses or false tenses of ourselves. But then, like, Jesus debunked that. Because you're saying, like, nope, the, Pharisee, like the Pharisees did that. He was like, nope, they're not it. The person who is humbly accepting the fact they're a sinner is it. But then, like, for us, then, like, we've accepted Christ, right? We've moved on in our relationship with Christ, right? We're, we're living our life well, right? But then that doesn't stop because the gospel is an ever-going thing. And the awareness of ourselves now needs to be, like, we need to not think of ourselves well when we're still sick. Because Jesus himself was like, the well don't need a physician, I've come for the sinners, not the righteous, and believing like, hey, I am everything Scripture tells me I am, and that includes being a sinner, having fallen short, but then because of Christ, that also includes being a child of God, that also includes being free, that also includes like you, this identity of like this idea that you are worth dying for, right? But those things like, there's none of that is earned. None of that, you don't, you, don't, you don't come to the realization that you're a child of God com- because you compare yourself to someone else. Because then that's not, that's not it. Because then you're giving yourself that identity. It's an identity that's, that's given to us by God himself. It's not something that's earned. And it's something that we earned, like we, we got through Christ Jesus himself, right? And I think like that's where self-awareness becomes an issue for us. It's, um, it's hard to open up the Bible because you can't just accept the ladder of the gospel. You don't automatically become a child of God, and you don't automatically become these things, while at the same time accepting the fact that you're a sinner falling short. And then the hardest part is after you, be- you accept that, and you want to believe that you truly are a child of God. You want to believe that like, you are everything that Jesus said you are, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, it's hard to believe that when you constantly look in the mirror and you don't like the person you see. How hard is it for somebody to tell you that you are worth dying for, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you are this beautiful creation, you are created in the image of God. But how hard is it to accept that, be aware of that identity, at the same time look at yourself and not want to push Photoshop, not want to edit that picture. It's difficult. Self-awareness is painful because when you're aware of all that Scripture tells us we are, we also become aware of how far short we have fallen because of the things we have done, the things that have happened to us, the, our life experiences. Like we've, like because of those things, we've seen it's hard to look in this mirror and not want to walk away and forget. Right? So I have your $20 bill. I'm going to close 
here, you know, like, I have your $20 bill. Who wants $20? Anybody? Yeah, all right, yeah, $20. <laughs> so just, so just humor me. How much is $20 worth? $20. Who decides how much $20 is worth? Uncle Sam. Uncle Sam. <laughs> I, I'm not an economics major, but I'm pretty sure someone on the higher up levels than me decided who this is. But like, essentially, the people who created it, right, when they printed it out, before they decided they're going to, hey, I'm going to make $20 bills. They're like, what's how much is it going to be worth? They're like, wait for it. $20. Right? $20. It's great. It's the $20 bill. So a $20 bill is worth $20. Correct? I'm glad we're all on the same page. And the $20 decided to be worth $20 by the people who, the person, the group of people that who created it. Right? So... Let's give this per $20 bill a name. Give me a name. Herb. Herb. Herb here was created and he was given a value. Herb right now is crisp and brand new. Not a blemish on him. There's a fold. I folded him to put it in my pocket. But for the most part, Herb is pretty clean. Herb is worth $20. Herb never decided how much it was going to be worth. His worth was given to him at the moment of his creation, the moment he was made. Herb can accept the fact that he's worth $20 because when he sees himself, he looks brand new. He looks the way he looked when he was first made, without blemish. Oh, no, poor Herb. Herb is experiencing life. Life is, <laughs> life is not easy. Life is hard. Things happen in life, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not as clean and as carefree as you were when you were a baby, like, you live through life some, and man, you get some wrinkles. Wrinkles. Man, you age a little bit, right? How much is Herb worth? $20. $20. Man, but Herb doesn't think that, though, because Herb has gone through things. Herb accepts that he's gone through things, but it's hard for him to be aware of how much he's truly worth because he's gone through things. <coughs> oh, that's gross. Oh, that's worse. Herb's got germs now. <laughs> he's, he's filthy, right? He's gotten sick. Oh, man. Oh, and he's, and he's broken. He's not whole. He's ripped. How much is Herb worth? $20. Why is Herb worth $20? Because that's, that's the value he was created with. That's the value he was given by his creator was $20. So no matter what life does to Herb, life cannot determine Herb's value. Because if I was to take Herb to a bank, what would the bank do? They'll give me a brand new 20. So here you go. Would I, get a, I wouldn't get a 50 for Herb. I wouldn't get 10 for Herb. I wouldn't, they wouldn't give me a dollar for Herb. They would give me 20 because Herb's value has not changed. Regardless of what he's been through, no matter what's happened to him, see, we can look at that and see that and be like, okay. But the problem with us is when we are Herb, once we know what we've been through, 
once we experience our life and we see all our hurts and all the things that's done to us, it's hard for us to accept the fact that we are still worth dying for. That's hard. See, the Lord and the gospel is created to create a self-awareness in us that all of this has happened to you is true. It's real. But as you are in this moment, you are still worth dying for. And that's, that awareness of that identity of yourself is when change can happen. Life has taught you a lot of very faulty thinking patterns that because you've gone through these things, these things become you. But the Lord in Jesus Christ himself said no. In, he's like, in spite of going through all these things and what has done to, what's been done to you, I still think you're worth dying for. Because when I created you, you were in my image. And I created you, you were worth dying for. From the moment you were born to the moment, this very moment, you are worth dying for. See, when we talk about self-awareness, it's a twofold thing. You have to accept the fact that what's happened to you is reality. You have to accept that. But when you look in the Bible, you have to also become aware of that what's happened to you and what's been done to you is not who you are. Because you were made in the image of God. You were worth dying for. You were and you are and forever will be a child of God because of what Jesus Christ did. And that's where the gospel is. I want us to look at this and read this last verse. Paul is talking and he said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. You could work hard your whole entire life to earn your worth. Herb could have been crispy his whole life, kept himself clean, kept his nose clean, the entirety of his being. And at the end of it all, he'd still been worth what? Herb has gone through a lot of things in life, broken down and all of that. But at the end of the the day, stump on it, right? Life steps on you. At the end of the day, you're still worth what? How much more is you? Your creator gave you your worth and value, and self-awareness is accepting what his life has done to you, but being aware of who Christ has called you to be, and that that doesn't change no matter what's going on. I'm going to pray. Dad, you are so good. You are amazing. Um, Thank you for who you are what you've done for, for calling us out of ourselves, for um, setting us free, that the freedom you've given us goes beyond uh, circumstances of this world. It's a freedom of our spirits. It's a freedom of our hearts. It's a freedom of our minds. I pray that we embrace that. I pray that we embrace you. And if I pray for the people in here who have not accepted that, they are worth dying for. They have not accepted the value and the worth that you've placed on them. I pray that you will call them out of their darkness and bring them to you. God, you are so good, and I, I thank you. I thank you for your love that we don't deserve. 
I thank you for placing us and giving us a worth and a value and identity that we never earned. I thank you for being who you are when we couldn't be who we were. In the name of Jesus, I pray to you today.